let's pray. We have our Bibles. Uh, Mark chapter 2 is open. Let's go to the Lord. Lord, we uh, come again uh, this morning because you're drawing us, Lord. Uh, You're drawing us to yourself. You're drawing us to try to understand uh, the life we live, uh, the God we serve, uh, the world around us. And, uh, And Father, I pray that as we open up your word again, that you would take it from, from just hearing the, the knowledge, Lord, to making it um, work out in our lives. That you'd conform us into the image of your Son. That we would hear what your Word is saying and that you would bend us, Lord. That we would yield to what we read. We would be able to examine ourselves, Lord. It's so easy, um, we know, to hear your Word and then to somehow justify our behavior, justify ignoring it. And I just think about James that says, to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. And Lord, we, want, we don't want to sin by um, not doing the things you do want us to do. So as we open your word, convict us of the truth. Convict us of, of the desire, Lord, to, to be um, your hands, your feet on the earth, to do what you would do if you were here yourself, that we, are your, we go by the name, the body of Christ, and Lord, I pray that that wouldn't just be a name, but that would be what we really are. We are really working and doing uh, the things that you would do, led by your Spirit, empowered by your love. Have your way in us, Lord. Open our eyes to see wondrous things from your Word. It's in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. So the, the study through the, uh, the Gospel of Mark, we're calling it uh, Discovering Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, and I think that's Pretty important because uh, I talk to a lot of people. Uh, I like to talk. Uh, God said I can use that, and he made me a pastor. So, but I do like to talk. I love to listen, too. I love to listen to what people say when you ask them questions about God or faith or church. And there's a lot of people nowadays, it's surprising, there's a lot of people that did not grow up in church, that are not growing up in church more and more and more. Uh, generations ago, everybody grew up going to church in America. But now it's less and less and less. So you'll meet people that have never been to church. And then you'll meet some that, well, they've heard this or they've heard that or they've learned this, but they've never actually read the Bible for themselves. They have a lot of things that they'll quote or say, but no idea if those things are really true or accurate. They just heard them somewhere. And so I find that very few people have actually opened up the Bible and read it for themselves. And even fewer people have read it from Genesis to Revelation to really get a full understanding of who God is, who Jesus is. So I'm glad that we have the opportunity to sit. That's why I don't, we don't put the words on the screen here because I want you to read it in your Bible for yourself with your own eyes in the context so we can discover together who Jesus really is because he's kind of surprising sometimes. He does a lot of stuff that make people uncomfortable. And if you follow him, guess what you're going to do? A lot of stuff that makes people uncomfortable. Now I'm not talking about being crazy or strange, sometimes it's the, it's the simplest things in life nowadays that make people think you're crazy. Like, because you forgive somebody. Or the way you deal with money, or the way, you know, <clears throat> I remember when my dad saw our budget. Or my, you know, he's, we, he just happened to see what our budget was. And he said, you give that to the church? Like, you could use that for something else, you know? <clears throat> people think we're crazy because we do stuff because we follow Jesus. The religious people of Jesus' day thought he was a troublemaker. This guy is trouble. You ever know someone that you thought was a troublemaker? They just won't line up and do what you think they should do. They just won't get in line. They won't 
do what, they, don't, they, won't, they won't do what's supposed to be done. <clears throat> now, Jesus did what was supposed to be done. It was the religious leaders that were doing what wasn't supposed to be done. So Jesus wasn't, he wasn't going to line up with what wasn't supposed to be done. And I love that. He never, we don't see him in the classroom with them, you know, with the whiteboard and writing on there. Now, here's, here's my doctrine, guys, you know, and he teaches them, but he's just living it. He's just living the will of the Father. He's just doing what, what it, whatever the Father said to do, that's what he wanted to do. And that made people uncomfortable. Why? Because it didn't fit in with their idea of what should be done. They had certain bias that uh, Jesus didn't follow. They had certain favoritisms that Jesus didn't follow. They had certain concepts of what it meant to be religious that Jesus didn't follow. And so these next few passages in chapter 2, which, by the way, I had hoped to get to the end of chapter 2 today, but we're having communion. We're going to take time to share communion and break bread together. So we're only going to look at this, this section where um, uh, Matthew Levi is called to be a follower of Jesus. We're going to start in verse 13 and go down to verse uh, 17. And we'll look at the rest next week. But what you'll see is he, it's almost like Jesus is purposely finding areas where the, the religious leaders of his day had, had sort of gotten off track and he, he almost highlights those. He, he almost intentionally does these things to get under their skin because he knows where they're coming from. And he knows what's right. And so he's uh, just going to show them a few things about who he should hang out with. And people have a concept of how, who you should hang out with, who, who Jesus should hang out with. And people have a concept about fasting and religious routines and a concept about what the Sabbath should be like and shouldn't be like. Well, Jesus is, is the one that is going to show them really what these things are all about, really what God is like. And, and so we'll see a lot of confrontation again they're going to be very upset with him because he's just not willing to line up and do what everybody else is doing just because that's what you do. And I love that about him, don't you? I mean, I love that about Jesus Christ because he is, we deal so much with people pleasing, don't we? And I think people are so afraid to be alone and so afraid to be un- not accepted that we will almost do anything to be accepted by a group that we want to be accepted by. Jesus had no concern for whether people approved or didn't approve of what he did. He had one concern, and that was that God approved, that he did what represented God. And that made people really uncomfortable. And I, I, there's a part of me, I've got to be honest with you, this is confession time. I love to make people feel uncomfortable by doing those things. I've I got friends that are religious. I've got friends that are pastors in, in denominational systems, and they, they, don't, they don't know Jesus. And I love to, for them to see what's happening around, in and around our church because it makes them uncomfortable. And so there's this part of me that I kinda, I'm okay with that. I like that. So verse 13, I'll get counseling for that later on. But <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 13. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him. And he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting by the tax office, or sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? There's the rub. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, 
Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What a great teaching. I mean, this, is, this almost teaches itself. So, um, but you know me, I'm a pastor. I'm going to keep adding to it here. I'm gonna, I'll, let's talk about it a little bit more. Because there are some things behind the scenes that make the wow factor of this passage even wowier. Can I say that? Is that a word, wowier? Uh, I just did. So Jesus' headquarters is Capernaum, northern part of the Sea of Galilee. It's a fishing city or a fishing village. And uh, he's been, he was there. He picked up, remember, four fishermen there? You remember that a couple weeks ago? Uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and then uh, Peter and his brother Andrew. So these guys were fishermen at the sea, or, you know, in Capernaum. And Jesus called them to be disciples. And he's been traveling around a bit. And now he's back in Capernaum. And he's healed the paralytic in the first part of chapter 2. And now he goes out again by the sea. And, and the, a multitude are coming to him. And he's teaching them. And in the Greek, it would literally say, they, a multitude kept coming to him. I mean, people just keep coming. Talk about a revival. People keep coming and coming. And what's he do? He keeps teaching and teaching. And I think that is, if, if I could find a, a driving verse for our church, you know, that as people keep coming and coming, that we would keep teaching and teaching, teaching what Jesus taught, teaching about him and, and pointing people to him. So they're coming, he's teaching, and as he's walking by, he sees this guy, the, Mark calls him Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Um, other, another gospel calls him Matthew. I think Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, says his name is Matthew. So which is it? Is this a contradiction? Is his name Levi or Matthew? The answer to that is yes, both. It was not uncommon for someone that lived in Galilee to have two names, a Hebrew name, Levi, and a Galilean name, Matthew. So he was, he was Matthew Levi. He's known as Matthew Levi. To us, we also know him as the author of the Gospel of Matthew. And what's interesting is that he's sitting there at the tax office. Now, there's a reason he's sitting at the tax office. Because Friday, now actually Thursday, I was a day ahead, I sat at the tax office. Did you? It was property tax time here in Fluvanna. So when I made my walk up to the tax office, because last year I paid late and got fined. And, oh, I'm not doing that again. I just missed the date. And so uh, he's, he's at the tax office because he is not just a, a general purpose tax collector. This guy is the uh, customs official. He runs the office there. Now, we already know the feeling that comes over us when we talk about taxes. And if you question that, then go Friday, you know, 4 o'clock up to the tax office in Fluvanna. Next, you know, in December, I guess we get to pay again. And, and you can go and you can see the emotions are running high. We get charged too much. It's unfair. Taxes are too high. People are strapped for money. You know, all these emotions are flying. Now imagine living in a place like Mexico where there is tremendous corruption. And it wasn't just a, every six months or every year. It was crossing the border. It was if a police officer pulled you over and just wanted money. He could threaten to take you off the, for whatever reason. It didn't really matter because there was no law. I mean, they, they, they were the law. And in Capernaum, the tax official ruled with the iron fist. I mean, they would tax you for anything and everything because, see, they were hired by and a pawn of the Roman government. So if you were a Jew and you took a job as a tax collector, you became a traitor, and you were excommunicated from your synagogue, from fellowship. 
because now your job, because not only were you, t- it's like, not only are you going, oh, you know, come on, man, I just got to do my job, but you were an extortioner. Because Rome would demand a certain amount of money from your region, and whatever you got extra, you kept. So tax collectors, especially the tax officials, were very, very wealthy, and they became wealthy because they were heartless. You know, when you do a job like that, there's a part of you that has to die. If you're going to extort money from people, if you're going to live that way, and you're going to serve the dollar and, and run over people, and they played favorites. So if you had a, a, a person that you liked, you'd charge them less. If you had a person you didn't like, then you'd charge them more. And if you took the road, they'd charge you because Capernaum was access to a harbor. So you were bringing in fish or you were bringing in goods, you'd be taxed. Then you were, if you were exporting goods, you'd be taxed. If you took the road, the, the trading route that came through there, you'd be taxed. I mean, they would harass people and hassle people. They were heart, tax collectors were heartless and a breed unto themselves. And you know, something this guy at some point, he decided money was the most important thing in his life. He took this job as a tax collector, and he cheated people, and he twisted people, and he, and he squeezed them for every dollar he could get so he could live well. And you know there's something dead inside when you can do that, right? You know what I'm talking about. Some people have to, there's certain jobs you have to do where that part of you just has to shut down or you could never do what you do. And something in, in Matthew Levi has shut down and, or been twisted so he could do what he has to do. So he's walking by. The, I hope that paints the picture of the tax collector, the tax officer, uh, corrupt, heartless, and dead. And so um, he's passing by. Jesus is passing by. And he looks at that Levi or Matthew, and he says to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. So you know there has to be some backstory. They didn't just meet for the first time. There, Matthew has been at the tax platform, a raised platform where they'd collect the taxes from. And Jesus was teaching all around there. So he'd heard Jesus teach before. And he'd seen him before. And they'd crossed paths before. And Jesus had seen Matthew before. Everybody knew this guy. You didn't enter or exit Capernaum without knowing the guy who was the customs agent. You cross the border, you pay your taxes. Everybody knew him. And so there must have been some connection at some point. Must have been some interaction. And I wonder if Matthew had listened to Jesus' teaching. And I wonder if something inside him began to question, what am I doing here? Like, how did I get to be who I am? How did I get this way? Like, what, you know, I hear this guy, he's, he's healing people, he's teaching with such authority, and what, I know inside what he says is true. Calling people to repentance and, and healing and, and helping, and, and here I am, and what has my life become? And I wonder if he began to question that in his heart. What am I doing? How did I get here? And then maybe he thinks, you know, I would love to follow him, but he would never have me. There's no way. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a traitor. I'm, I'm excommunicated from my seat. No, no rabbi would get anywhere close to me. Matter of fact, the rabbis felt that repentance for a tax collector was near impossible. And they just avoid them at all costs. And so I w- wonder if he begins to have those thoughts and Boy, I'd love to follow him, but man, he would never have a guy like me. Maybe you've said that to yourself. Maybe you know someone that said that. I'd love to follow Jesus, but he'd never have a woman like me. Never have. I, I've had an abortion. Uh, I've, I've had multiple partners. I've, I've, I'm shamed. Jesus would never want a follower like me. Well, 
Matthew's a pretty hated guy. And he walks by and he says to him, this is not a question or, or a, a, uh, an offer, it's a command. He says to him, follow me. And you just gotta, I just got to wonder what happened in, in Matthew's mind when he heard Jesus. Like, I, I can, me? Like, he, he's probably looking around like, you know, that, is he, is he you talking to me? Follow me? And what he had to give up to follow him. I mean, now, again, we don't know for sure, but we know one thing for sure. He's walking away from a lot of money. He was a wealthy man. He was making good money, and he's walking away from it to follow Jesus. And I know some people that have made some money in some not-so-honest endeavors. Uh, matter of fact, I knew a guy that was, and this is, all right, I'm going to caution, I don't want emails about it. I'm going to be careful. For him, he was a car salesman. Now, I'm not saying all car salesmen are, are corrupt or lie or whatever, but he played the game. And then he got saved. And then he came to me, my office, and he said, Steve, I've got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm having a conflict now because I know that I'm lying to people and I can't do it. What should I do? I said, quit. Or go find a job for someone who's honest, who will let you be honest. Be honest. Be honest at your job. Or, or you might have to quit. And you know what he did? He quit. And he got another job working for an honest car dealer where he could tell the truth and God blessed it. So just thinking about, now he's, he's never going to be able to be a tax collector again. Now he's turned away from the road. He's already excommunicated from his Jewish brethren. Now he's, now he's done. He's walking away from his tax office. Rome is going to hear about this. He's never going to get a job in that city again. He finds himself where oftentimes we find ourselves. Nowhere else to turn but to Jesus Christ. And that's why, that's why this fellowship is so important because we don't fit anywhere else. We sort of burn bridges on both sides, right, when you follow Jesus. It can be really hard. Now, the really interesting thing about this is, you know, Jesus has already got some disciples, these guys that were fishermen. And now they're walking along, and they pass by the tax collector. And I'm sure Peter's scowling at him, you know, like, last time I brought fish, you double taxed me. Wait till I get a hold, you know, but I'm following Jesus now, so I'm not going to do it. And then Jesus looks at him and says, you're, you're joining the group with us. And the boys, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, I mean, they probably looked at each other like, did he just say what I think he said? I mean, can you imagine the first staff meeting with Jesus after they called Matthew Levi? I mean, I'm sure, just picture across the table, you know, Jesus is trying to teach them, and, and Peter's just scowling at Matthew, you know, like, oh, if he, wait till he's not looking, I'm getting you, you know. I'm short cheating your bed or something. I don't know, I'm going to do something to you. Imagine, and, and I look around in a room like this, and the people here, that we would never be together if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. And it's, it's funny, see, you know, we've got a lot of young guys that are on the praise team here. And so you can, go, you can be a teacher at the high school and have a student in your class, and then you come into church, and that student might just be leading you in worship. Isn't that crazy? And we've got people on both sides of the law here. We've got people that have done time, and people that put them there. And then, and, but in, in Christ, we get people, that we, this people, we're a, we're a mixed up bunch, aren't we? But in Christ, he brings people together like these four fishermen and the tax guy who'd been taking them, for, had been taking all their, their money. But now Matthew is a follower of Jesus Christ. His whole life has changed. That's not the guy who is anymore. And so the first thing he does for himself is he throws a retirement party for himself. Look what happens next. It happened 
as he was dining in Levi's house, speaking of Jesus, verse 15, as uh, Jesus is dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. And for there were many, and they followed him. So the whole system of tax collection is being reformed by the presence of Jesus Christ. They're not extorting anymore. Matter of fact, this was John the, John the Baptist said that to uh, the tax collectors when he was calling them to repentance. And, and the soldiers quit extorting from people. So the whole thing, now all these guys, all these tax collectors are following Jesus. Don't you think that people stood up and noticed the difference when it came for tax time? Wait a second, last time it was a triple, double charge, you know, whatever. And, and now they're just, you know, this is all you owe me. People passing out everywhere. Unbelievable. And that's the effect Jesus has. I mean, you think about every great revival. Look, the, the results of a, of a revival are not that people run up and down the aisles and raise their hands and sing a lot of songs. Those things can happen during a revival. But the real result of revival is holiness. A change in lives. Liquor stores close down. Pornographic websites have to shut down because no one's using them anymore. People that sold this, sold that. Drug dealers go out of business. That's the result of a revival. And you track back the Welsh revival. I mean, pregnancies out of wedlock went way down during the revival. All these things. And so now, Matthew doesn't hide the fact that he's a follower of Jesus from his co-workers. In fact, he invites them to dinner to meet Jesus. And I love that. All the disciples are there. He's teaching his disciples a lesson too. He's sitting around the table with these guys who no one else wants to sit with, who no one else wants to have a relationship with, and they're welcome at his table. Look, we're going to have communion today. We're surprised sometimes who Jesus invites to the table. If you, knew who, if you knew who I was before Christ, then I don't know if you'd let me sit at your table. But if I knew who you were, I don't know if we'd want you at the table. But Jesus knows exactly who I am, who you are. And there he is at the table with these guys, these extortioners. And somehow they don't feel condemned by his presence. But we know he's not lowering himself to their level either. And I think there's a really good word for the church there. there are pe- can people be in your presence and not feel condemned because of who they are? They, were, they wanted to be there. They wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. They came, maybe they came just for the food. I don't know. But it says they followed him. They heard what he had to say. They sat at dinner. When's the last time you invited some folks over that you work with? We get so insulated as Christians, don't we? We got everything we, got everything we have now, there's a Christian option. And, and I understand that. I get that. And, it's, and I'm not saying that's all bad. But if that's all we got. Look, when I became a pastor, it was sort of a sad day for me. It's kind of like, oh, man. Because why? now I'm with Christians all the time. Like I work with Christians. I hang out with Christians. Uh, so I got to find, I start to get like freaked out. I got to find somewhere else to go where there's not a bunch of Christians. Because I got to have someone to tell about Jesus who doesn't already know. I used to work with a lot of people that weren't saved. They used to call Calvary Chapel Cowboy Chapel. Did you know that? Our nickname in the beginning was Cowboy Chapel because I was working with horses and I'd go to work and work at this barn or that barn and just get to talk about Jesus. We'd sit down and have lunch together during the work day and 
you know, and I had to see when I was there, I had my truck and I had a big stereo in my truck and I'd play the Joy FM or uh, one of the CSN uh, network playing the sermons all day. So the guy would be holding the horse there for me. And I'm like, I got you. You're stuck with me. Mind if I turn the radio on? No, go ahead. I put the sermons on, you know. Man, you're, if you're a hairdresser or something like that, you got a great opportunity. You got them. You're holding scissors. And they're in your chair. If they get up early, they look silly. You got them. You know, and I could just, I love it. You know, there you are. So, you know, you ever been to church? What do you think about God, you know? You got them. People, you, who do you work with? When's the last time you said, honey, there's these people I work with, man, and they don't know the Lord at all. They really need help. We, we, should, we should invite them over, have dinner, you know, hang out with them. You know, I, I wish there was a, a league, I wish there was a non-Christian softball league so our softball team could go play in a non-Christian league. What good are we if we're salt and we're always in the shaker? All right, salt's supposed to be dumped out of the shaker. Light's supposed to not be kept under a basket. It's supposed to be let out to shine. And so I love this. I love, we, you know, we've got to learn from Jesus because there were people that were really bothered by this. I had, this is a true conversation. Listen, true conversation. Uh, in the grocery store, I was in Walmart a couple weeks ago, and a friend of mine uh, who's a pastor has just taken a new church somewhere else, and he's, he's been a pastor at his church for probably about four years, and he's really been witnessing and ministering to a lot of, lot of different kinds of people, and he's been seeing people get baptized in his church, and people get saved, and, and uh, I saw this woman from his church, and I said, oh, I hear your, your pastor's leaving. She's like, oh, yes, I can't wait. I was like, uh-oh. I said, but, well, I heard a, a lot of new people are coming to the church. And you know what she said? She said, yes, but not the right kind of people. Now, that is an, I mean, I'm a pastor. I can't lie to you. It's a true conversation. Not the right kind of people. But see, that's exactly what the Pharisees would have said. Look what happens next. That Jesus is dining with these, these tax collectors, all of Matthew's buddies. Uh, they're getting, they're, they're following Jesus. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? What is he doing? So they don't go to Jesus. They go to his disciples. You know, Jesus, we're not going to confront him. But we'll confront the disciples. Your, your, your leader there, what kind of guy is he? He's eating with sinners. What's up with that? And because they had certain rules about purity. They had certain rules about cleanliness. The way that they felt about eating with someone who wasn't ritually clean would be, and, and they ate oftentimes with their hands. You think about Jesus and Judas dipping together in the sop, dipping in the bowl of sort of soup together, dipping the bread. Um, now, we are very germaphobic nowadays. Like, you can't go into a bathroom somewhere. You, you can go into the bathroom and come out without ever touching anything. Like, everything is automatic now. The water comes on automatically. The door opens automatically. The towels come out automatically. The soap comes out uh, automatically. We're afraid to touch anything. Now, imagine going up to, to the slums of New York City and finding a guy who's living in a dumpster, who hasn't showered in a few weeks, who smells like urine and alcohol combined. And imagine taking up your plate of food and saying, let's eat together, and having him dig in with his hands, his big, dirty fingernails uncut with dirt on it, having him dig in, and then you digging in right after, taking that big, you know, you'd be like, ooh, that's disgusting, right? Well, that's exactly how the Pharisees would have felt. 
about eating because when you eat someone, you, you become one with them. You share the same food, the same food that nourishes you, nourishes me, and we become one when we eat together. So they, Pharisee means separated one. They made their practice to separate themselves from people that didn't live like them, especially sinners. So they had distanced themselves, and they thought Jesus should do the same thing. If Jesus is any kind of teacher, if he's any kind of rabbi, he too would be distancing himself. If he knew, remember, if he knew what kind of woman that was that was touching him, he wouldn't let her. And so they had this idea of separation from the world. Now, we live in the world, and we're called to be salt and light to the world. How can you be that if you live in a monastery? Jesus didn't live in a monastery. He lived in a real world, cross paths with real people who really needed him. And so should we. We have Christian softball and Christian soccer and Christian basketball and Christian this and Christian that. I coached soccer. It was great because I got to hang out with all kinds of people that weren't saved. So I'm encouraging this fellowship, get out of the walls of these churches sometime. Find something you can do in the community to hang out with, with people that aren't saved. Find people that nobody else likes and hang out. The kids in school, you want to stop bullying? You want to end that? Start being compassionate. Start finding people that, that are bullies. Hang out with them. These guys, tax collectors, they're bullies. So find the bullies. Hang out. Invite them to lunch. Say, man, why do you hurt people so much? Why are you, why are you so mean to people? Maybe it's because you're hurting. Maybe you need Jesus. I mean, there's... And that, they said, hey, Jesus shouldn't be eating with these people. How is it that he eats with them? They, they don't go to Jesus, they go to the disciples. And Jesus hears it, and this is so classic. Jesus heard it, and he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus would say, where else should I be? Who else should I be? I'm not going to, I'm like a doctor. Now, imagine a doctor who, like, so you wake up one morning and you're sick. You've got the fever the runny nose, the sweats, and you say, oh, I gotta, I'm sick, i got to go to the doctor. So you go to the doctor's office, and you come, and the nurse comes out, and she sees you, and you look horrible. And she goes, what are you doing here? You're sick. I know that's why I came. No, 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 we don't see sick people here. This is a doctor's office. We're just into healthy people. That'd be like crazy, wouldn't it? And we don't, we don't, if you were a doctor, you, you know, and you just, well, I just want to hang out with people that are healthy. I mean, a doctor is there for people that are sick. And it's when you realize that you're sick, you don't wake up in the morning and go, you know, I feel really good today. I'm going to go see the doctor. I was going to go see him last week, but I was sick, but I'm better now, now I'll go. Isn't that crazy? I always use the example of, it's like people that say, I'll go to the gym when I get healthy. When I get strong, I'll start going to the gym. No, you go to get strong. You go to the doctor because you're sick. And the, see, the scribes and the Pharisees were the ones that didn't know they were sick. So they weren't coming to him. The ones that knew they were sick were the ones that were coming. They were all sick. I look around, look, look, we know this world we live in. I know me. I know what I think. I know what's inside of me. I'm a sick man. And you're sick too. We're crazy. You know that? We're, we're, you look at me, okay, pastor, you need help. I know, I know. Tell me something. When people come to me and tell me, man, you're nuts. I know. That's why I got to go to church. I need Jesus in my life. I don't know how to think about marriage right. I don't know how to think about parenting right. 
I don't know how to think about money right. I don't know how to think about love right. I don't know. I, you know, when I, before I got saved, I didn't know I was spiritually sick because I hung out with a bunch of other people that were spiritually sick, so it looked normal. But then I met Jesus, and I realized, whoa, we were all sick. And Matthew is now inviting his friends that are spiritually in need to come and meet the great physician, the one who can heal them. And I, and I just, as a church, that's what we've got to be about. Uh, yes, love one another. That's important. But find places, rub elbows with people that are unsaved, don't know the Lord, sick, crazy, deluded, nuts, out of their minds. Find them. I mean, don't go to the people that don't have time, that, that they're, they're too smart for their own good. They don't know they're sick. You can tell in like five minutes whether a person knows they're sick or not. They're just too much pride. Too, you know, maybe some of you are in, in here are like that. Are you the ones that will, when you're sick, you just will not go to the doctor no matter what? Like people have to drag you to the doctor. Anybody in here like that? Like, I'm sick. I ain't going. Uh-uh. There's people that are like that spiritually. Like everybody around you sees that you are in need of a doctor. You know, you're coughing all over us. You're getting us all sick. We're all, you know, you're, you're contagious. You need a doctor. You know, I'll be okay. You know, I'll, <coughs> I'll be fine. You know, but pride, man. I'm, I'll fix it myself. I'll Google it. <laughs> Web, right, WebMD. And Jesus came. Why? He said, look, I'm, I'm like a spiritual doctor. I came specifically for the people that need me and that know they need me. And there he's surrounded by the tax collectors. And I, and I just love it. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, the self-righteous, those that think that they're, they're good people, they're fine. He said, I came to call sinners to repentance, to, to change lives, to a new direction. Uh, how are you going to do that if you never hang out with them? Amen? So this is a great time to share communion. So I'm going to have the folks that have prepared communion kind of be ready to serve that. I'm going to invite Phil to come up. And, and what's at the core of this story is this meal, right? This meal with Jesus and sinners. And guess what? That's where we all started, right? Invited to the table with Jesus. And so I don't know where all of you are. We're in different places. Um, Many of us have been to the table with Jesus before. We know the drill. As the communion comes around, I want you just to hold on to the cup, hold on to the bread. We'll partake together. We've got a little time. Uh, no rush. So just hold on to it. And, uh, but I, I hope Jesus is speaking to us on two levels. Number one, um, maybe you would see yourself in Matthew Levi's role in the story. He's the one who's, uh, who's living for money. Who has a wrong concept of people. He uses people to get money instead, instead of using money to bless people. So maybe that, maybe that you're just in a, in a job or in a place where you've compromised and you, know, you just think, Jesus would never want me to follow him. I would never be, like church is for the people that are really good and I'm not really good and somehow you got here today. Some, someone dragged you here. Someone begged you to come and it's not a coincidence that this is what we're talking about. 
And as the communion comes around, uh, you go, Jesus would never want me as a follower. And I want to tell you that he does. He does. And you say, what other people don't want me as a follower. If they don't, they're wrong. Because Jesus wants you as a follower. So that's one way you could look at it. The other way you could look at it is um, maybe you see yourself uh, in Matthew's place in terms of needing to um, be thinking more about inviting unsaved people around your table to meet Jesus. Thinking about all the people that, you know, you found the cure. If you had the cure for cancer, I mean, you discovered it and you took it and it healed you. And as long as you keep taking it, you stay healed from cancer. And you had it and you said, I know there's a lot of sick people, but I can't tell them. It's mine. It's for me. What would that make you? Selfish? What else would it make you? It would make you cruel, right? If I got cancer and you got the cure, I want to know about it. We have, folks, the most important thing on the face of the earth. We know the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the life. If there is going to be life, it only comes from me. And we know it. We know it. I want to see us get out there like leaven in the community. Get out there. I remember when, when Warren McIver went down to Richmond for the, the uh, gay pride parade. Not to, not to hold banners of hate, but to sit around the table, to meet people, to talk with people, to listen to people. As it's coming around, just hold on to it. We're going to sing a song, and then we'll partake together.